Hello, I'm Oliver Wong. And I'm Morgan Rhodes. You're listening to Heat Rocks. This is a special one-off episode, and that's going to feature me, Oliver, and your questions. Lucky you guys. The first half of the show is devoted to Oliver and I talking about our favorite features. And in the second half, we are doing our first ever mailbag segment where we'll be answering your questions that you submitted to us via social media. But first, let's talk features. Morgan, this was your inspiration. So why did you want to talk about favorite guest appearances? I think because um, we built the show, uh, our, our first, our real, real pilot episode was a show that you and I taped together um, about The Chronic, where we talked about The Chronic. Yeah. And when I think about The Chronic, um, it is one of my favorite albums, but also um, one of my favorite albums because of all the features, uh, because it was an introduction to everyone that was on Death Row Records, and it wasn't just about Snoop and Dre, it was about everyone on there. It was about Jewel, it was about Corrupt. It was about Daz, it was about RBX, it was about Lady of Rage, and it was just like a a Welcome to Our Roster album, which I thought was built over the strength of the features. And so that sort of inspired me. We've been doing this a long time, and we've been talking about albums, but I didn't want to forget, you know, the plus one, uh, you know, the plus one type of uh, situations that happen on these albums and, and the things that happen, the magic that happens with features. Sometimes, as you've said many times, the, the, the feature is better than, than the song that features the feature. So <laughs> I wanted to bring that up. So we came up with a bunch of different categories in which to tackle this question of features from a variety of angles, one of which, just sticking to our general album-oriented theme, would be favorite albums based on the quality of features on there. So you've already mentioned The Chronic. What else you got in that mix? I think for me, and it was hard to narrow it down, but for me, it would be To Pimp a Butterfly. 2015, mm. Kendrick Lamar. And I say that because not just the the you know the the extra verses you know we could talk about Rhapsody and that's one of my favorites but it was just what went into building that album you know Sonic features it, it's crazy so it, like I said it there's so many people on there from Bilal to Layla Hathaway to Rasan Patterson to Knowledge to Ron Isley to Flying Lotus to Pharrell Williams to Thundercat that it just almost was like it, it, it what made the album great was of course you know, Kung Fu Kenny and his verses, but the building of the album, the way the album sounded, and the way the album sounded had to do with features. So that would be my pick of best album with features or my favorite album full of features. Gambling Benjamin benefits, sending in traffic, spinning women in cartwheels, linen fabric on fashion, winning in every decision. Kendrick gets master that mastered it, isn't it? Lovely how menaces turn attraction, pivoting rappers, finish a fraction while writing blue magic. Thank God for rap. This raises, I think, also just a broader question as to how one defines a feature. Because one could argue that the example that you're giving, those were simply musicians playing on an album, in which case you're just talking about the personnel. So what do you distinguishes a feature from simply being someone who is included in the production or recording of an album? I think the difference, and this is a really, really loose, you know, a a loose and, and perhaps hood definition. But I think for me, a feature, uh, generally speaking, is is sort of a, a plus one. Mm. And in To Pimp a Butterfly's case, that's like 
uh, guest list. Yeah. So that's the difference. It's it's that one person you put on the guest list as opposed to squad. You invited your whole team. Yeah. And that's the difference to me between sort of like the chronic and to pimp a butterfly. That the songs on the chronic featured a plus one. Yeah. Either those those people that I mentioned um, and Dr. Dre on production. And to pimp a butterfly was squad. It was everybody uh, that came together to make a, a beautiful beautiful album. Mm. I would love to guide our listeners to a uh, an episode of Hit Parade. Our former guest Chris Malamfi's monthly podcast for Slate, where he talks about chart history. And Chris actually breaks down the history of the featured artist as a specifically credited credit. I, that's really redundant, but you get the idea. Because yeah. it used to be that you would have guest appearances, but they that weren't really credited. And so we wouldn't technically consider those features. One of the best case examples would be, for example, Eric Clapton playing on the Beatles while my guitar gently weeps. Mm. Had that song been recorded in 2018, it would have been the Beatles featuring Eric Clapton. Sure. But back in the 1960s, early 70s, just that's just not how they did it. And Chris, I thought, does a, did a fantastic job of breaking down the background behind that. My pick for this in terms of best album features or best album with features is also a bit of a cheat because this precedes the point in history in which the feature tag becomes a known credit. But this is the 1971 album, Going to Take a Miracle, which was recorded by Laura Nyro mm. and LaBelle. So if you look at the album cover, it has Laura Nyro and then in smaller font and LaBelle. And I kind of feel like the, why couldn't they have gotten the same font size? Mm-hmm. I don't know. Racism. Right. But it's a fantastic album and it and really it is it really really is Nairo featuring LaBelle because this was a point at which the group LaBelle was undergoing a transformation. They had previously been known as the Bluebells back in the 1960s and then they became Patty LaBelle and the Bluebells or maybe it was just Patty and the Bluebells and then by the early 70s they were simply LaBelle uh, and were really trying to reintroduce themselves and remake themselves out of this earlier girl group identity into something that was much more rooted in soul. And this album, even with Nairo singing lead, simply doesn't work without LaBelle Mm -hmm. on the backup and in the studio with her. give due credit, that is Patti LaBelle, Nona Hendrix, and Sarah Dash, because LaBelle had gone through a couple of personnel changes by the time they get up to this point in the early 70s. In any case, you can hear just in that little clip how fundamental LaBelle is in working with Nairo to make to pull this song together. And the other reason why this album always comes to mind for me is because, in a lot of ways, it is the first, what you might describe as the first retro soul album, because it's these four women are singing doo-wop and R&B classics, mostly from the 1960s, a lot of Motown hits or Motown era hits. Uh, and The Bells, the song that you just heard, this was originally penned by Marvin Gaye mm-hmm. or co-penned by Marvin. And it sounds like it would have come from, you know, 63, but sure. it's actually from 1970, first recorded by the originals. But even by 71, it it sounds like a cover song from an era past. Right. Going to Take a Miracle, of course, is rooted in paying homage to Motown of the 1960s, but doing it in the early 70s. But already that nostalgia has kicked in. 
I wouldn't have thought that it came from the 70s. It sounds straight Motown-esque, straight girl group-esque, and I wasn't aware of this album. I think you, you brought it up on another show, and I don't, I don't remember which episode of Heat Rocks it was that we talked about this. Um, but that was the first time that, that I had heard of this album. So. Yeah, it's so good. Yeah, yeah. thank you for, for yeah. turning, turning me on to it. Yeah, so Laura Nairo and LaBelle, but it, again, it could have been entitled Laura Nairo featuring LaBelle, Gonna Take a Miracle, 1971. All right, our next category are, and I think this is the one that you are really chomping at the bit to be able to talk about, songs where the featured artist bodied the primary artist. <laughs> My <laughs> which God. Is just, which is just another way of saying where the guest outshines, you know, the, the host, I guess, would be the way, way to put it, right? And if you're on the unfortunate end of that, God bless you. You got to be secure in your skills because sometimes somebody steps up in the place and sonically speaking, they're just better dressed than you. Um, it was tough. This was a tough decision. Um, I went back and forth between whether I should pick like, you know, like an R&B song where I thought like a guest sort of bodied or whether I should do like hip hop until... I was split, so I did both. Okay. Okay. In terms of hip hop, um, what stands out to me is Who Shot Ya? Mm. It was uh, a song featured on, on uh, LL Cool J's album, Mr. Smith, and 1995. And it was Foxy Brown's appearance on there where she killed Prodigy, Fat Joe, Keith Murray, and LL Cool J. Not the first time LL Cool J's gotten bodied in a cipher. <laughs> Uh, but that was it. Um, this was, uh, I think, right before Il Nana. Uh, most of us hadn't heard of Foxy Brown. She was the only girl on the track, and she bodied that thing to smithereens. It's interesting that we that we mention um, LL Cool J, and I'll go back to that in, in, in a minute. But one of the the, the runner ups for this category was the Flavor in Your Ear re- remix. Yeah. He got bodied on that too, and of course he wasn't the featured, but Biggie <laughs> killed him. Okay, and and to this day people are like, what really was LL Cool J saying? I don't know, and I don't want to diss him because he may be on Heat Rocks <laughs> at some point, and and I'll ask him. But he got killed on that. Foxy Brown's verse in this, I mean, you have to see the video because she's doing some label dropping. She's talking a little bit. It's a little bit of coke rap, um, but it's her presentation. It was aggressive and it was raw and it was uh, it was just so like I'm in the game, too, in a game that, you know, normally we we know that men run. But it was like I'm I'm the queen pin and I'm coming out killing. And that was it. I, that was my introduction to Foxy Brown. And she bodied everybody else on on this verse. And there were some heavy hitters on there, the, the least of which was LL Cool J. My second pick was actually an R&B song. Mm. It was Luther Vandross. And it was Luther Vandross on a song called I Who Have Nothing, which is, a, I think, a remake of a Dionne Warwick song. Mm. And it is him and Martha Wash. And Martha Wash ran up in that thing is all I can say. There are there are two times where I thought Luther Vandross um, may, may have gotten you know shined on a little bit by his singers. The other one was Cheryl Lynn, If This World Were Mine. But I Who Have Nothing, Martha Wash, is one of the best duets I've ever heard. And Martha Wash, it, and it's a subdued Martha Wash because, of course, we know her from the Weather Girls, Sylvester, where she has the big booming vocals. And on this, 
It is a sort of a toned down Martha Wash, if I can say that. Gorgeous, gorgeous material. So I struggled with this category, but that's what I came up with. It's funny that you bring up LL because when I was doing a little bit of research behind trying to figure out what I wanted to pick for this, I was looking up best guest verses and LL features or songs that LL is involved with, whether he is the feature or is the host, show up a lot. So, for example, there is Cannabis's <laughs> guest verse on 4321 in which him and, and LL are basically dissing each other on, the, on, on LL's own track. But then LL does the same thing to EPMD on Rampage, which he was invited to, to guest on. So for whatever reason, LL seems to be kind of very centered here. I, too, though, certainly thought first and foremost about hip-hop songs. And it was it was hard for me to come up with one where I thought the guest was so much better than the host. You know, So I, I guess I didn't really take this question fully to heart because the song that I went with, it's not that the hosts were bad in any capacity. Uh, and this was International Players Anthem by UGK, Ooh. which would have been if, – if it never had featured the featured artist on it, it still would have been an incredible song. Sure. But then you ask Andre 3000 to open things up. And at least for me, I don't remember anything that happens after Andre's verse. So, I typed a text to a girl I used to see saying that I chose this cutie pie with whom I want to be and I apologize if this message gets you down then I cc'd every girl that I'd cc round town and hate to see y'all frown but I'd rather see her smile and witness all around me true but I'm no island. It's also a reminder of, yeah, what is Andre doing? I mean, I'm sure he's got a nice bank account that he can just fall back on. He doesn't need to be out in the mix recording new music. But like you just get invited to drop, I don't know, was was that 16? Maybe it was like 12. It's not even, <laughs> it's not even that long of a cameo. And it just gold, you know, with that with that track. And so that really does come to mind. And again, it's not because UGK fell, you know, on, on their effort here. It's just that Andre's verse is so good. It's so magical that it, it really just overwhelms the song as a whole. And I think what I, I agree with all that, but I think what also makes every appearance of his precious is because you ain't seen him in a minute and he just shows up, kills your whole track and then disappears again. He did the same thing on Walk It Out. You don't want now, they get three thousand. I'm like juror duty. You're new to this part of town. Your white tee will to me look like a nightgown. Make your mama proud. Take that thing two sizes down. Then you look like the man that you are. He just shows up and he did the same thing on Erica Badu's Hello. It's like, hello, Andre. So I'm hoping that he will show up in our lives in the middle of the night and drop a surprise album full of fire. But you just got to be careful when you invite Andre 3000 to the party because you just might get handled. (laughs) Since you've been gone, I've been having withdrawals. You were such a habit to call. I ain't myself at all. Had to tell myself, no, she better with some fella with a regular job. I didn't want to get her involved. By then, Mr. Benjamin was sitting in awe. Hops into my car, drove far. Far's too close, and I remember my memory's no sharp. 
I think we should mention ciphers. Just give a quick minute to ciphers mm-hmm. because I think um, those can feature some some great, great standout guest appearances. And the thing that comes to mind is a cipher that happened between uh, Most Deaf, Black Thought, and, and Eminem. Eminem. This is the BET cipher during the Hip Hop Awards show. Black Thought came in there and just like, I thought Eminem's verse was weird. And a little creepy. And I thought, I liked most Def's presentation, but I was like, if you ain't from New York, you don't really understand what he's talking about because it was just geography. Mm-hmm. Black Thought just killed on so many levels. And I cringed at the end because he finished with bipolar like Phyllis Hyman. And I was like, oh, that's tough. Remix, rising the bottom of the flames like a phoenix, training and carrying the weight of my brain like a genius. Knowing I'm so in seas, let's see who summons the penis. If I said it, I mean it and did it because I need it. Eat, sleep it and beat it. Write it down and then read it. Ask for to the cement, your trash talk is deleted. Blast off, I lay your mouth like a tempopedic. Black door, I told you I'm a I think that was last year that he did that. I don't know how long was it. Ten minute, ten minute freestyle. Right, right on the radio. On the radio. Yeah. Uh, but Black Thought has to be, for me at least, considered in the top ten um, of all lyricists. No, this is funny because I thought in bringing up this particular cipher, I thought you were going to highlight Eminem because I thought Eminem is the one who straight up killed on this particular. Effort. Mama, it's like I'm off the bomb bar when I bring the fucking drama. Used to bomb you like Saddam, but now that I'm a little calmer, I'm a fucking cross between Osama, Dama, Obama, and Dalai Lama. So Miley, I'm a knight in shining armor. Nail a gift to Taylor Swift trailer, a picture of my genitalia with a note saying, I can't wait to your drug paraphernalia. Beware the werewolf will kill you. That's him in his sheep's clothes. He just shaved his hair, Cecilia. Because I just remember the next day after this came out. That's M's verse is the one everyone was like, oh, my God, did you hear Eminem on the cypher? Really? Because yeah. my folks were talking about Black Thought. Yeah, interesting. And um, his references where he talks about, um, you know, being on late night TV, swimming with these sharks and stuff. Th- that thing was fire to me. So, OK, well, we've got, you know, the, the vultures <laughs> split on this one. But the, needless to say, um, that that to me was an incredible cypher. So that has to be I, I, I don't know if we would consider that a feature, but let's give some love to the cyphers. Sure, sure. Now we got to get into songs where the feature helped to launch a future star, where a feature opened up the door for you to become that thing. In hip hop, I don't think there's a more famous example than Nas on uh, Main Source's Live at the Barbecue, where Nas opens the song, and it was the first time anyone had heard him record it on wax. And I mean, I'm not going to deny its historical importance, and Nas certainly killed it, and it was as good of an opus as you could ask for. But if we're going to talk about Nas, the one that I actually like a little bit better than Live at the Barbecue, which I think probably came out around the same year, though it it does not precede Live at the Barbecue, is his guest verse on MC Search's Back to the Grill. And Search was uh, formerly one part of Third Base. This was Search's first solo effort. And he has his group cut that has, let's see, besides Nas, it's got Chub Rock, it's got mm. rot, uh, Red Hot Lover Tone. But Nas's verse on here, which comes in the middle of the song, is so fire. And it shares a lot in common with Live at the Barbecue in terms of Nas just saying some ridiculous stuff on here that people had never heard before. The best line being, This is Nas, kid, you know how it runs. I'm waving automatic guns at nuns. Sticking up the preachers in a church. I'm a stone crook, serial killer who works by the phone book. Terrible. <laughs> oh. 
<laughs> I also like the beat a little bit better on this than Life at the Barbecue, which I feel like might be uh, somewhat sacrilegious to say. But that, but all of this said, the choice I actually had for this song, I, again, I want to acknowledge that Nas with Life at the Barbecue, yeah, it's it's the number one in this category. But personally, my favorite is the way in which the late Big L out of Harlem came into the world on Wax was as the featured artist on Lord Finesse's Yes You May remix. You know what I'm saying? Swing and shit for 92. Yeah. I check yeah. it out, chill. Hey, yo, everywhere yeah. that I go, yeah. brothers know my fucking name. I'm Florida yeah. niggas, ain't the only way of fucking change. I gave yeah. a lot of black guys in my extorting days, fucking yeah. with me. A lot of niggas with sports shades. I grabbed the microphone and start jerks, niggas running up. This is a case where you, you're putting on this young kid, he sounds young on it, and he sounds hungry. And he sounds like I'm, I'm given this opportunity to make my introduction to the world. And I'm going to do this up as best as I can. The level of confidence on here, the level of just straight braggadocio. Mm -hmm. And Finesse's verse is pretty solid on here. I mean, it's kind of classic Finesse. But inviting Big L onto this remix just to give him this platform to show himself up and to shine, I just think it's to me just, I, I never, ever get tired listening to Big L's uh, verse on here and it just reminds me of like what a talent he was uh, and what hip-hop lost when he was uh, shot and killed to death uh, def, you know just a few years a few years later a star turn for me would be uh going back to 1993 it would be super cat uh dolly my baby oh. uh-huh the bad boy a remix f featuring biggie smalls i love it when you call me big pop but the show stop but the rock drop but super cat and I forget, I mean, Biggie, this was obviously before Ready to Die. It was before Ready to Die. Had he already done his stuff with Mary at that point? I don't think so. Oh, okay. for, you talking about on Real Love? Yeah. Let's see. I mean, this would have been in the same era. So that early, Real Love early was, Biggie, early Biggie. Yeah, early Biggie. Real Love was 1992. And Super Cat, Dolly My Baby was 1993. But I think this verse gave him shine. I think because of the video, you got Puff and Biggie sitting at a table. And Biggie just comes in. He's animated. He's got his own little, it, not, not only his verse, but he got his own little sounds. I love that song, Dolly My Baby, by itself. I think it's fire. Biggie's verse added something to it and it opened the door for ready to die and of course life after death and um i i fell in love with biggie on that verse mm. i was just like who is this who is this dude what is he doing and i thought i thought that bad boy did a good job of squeezing in people introducing people in the same way that we're talking about um death row and dr dre right, right. but this one a star was born for me on dolly my baby Great choice. It's bad boy. Right. Onto the floor. Yeah! We can't take it no more. Ow. And it's time for your listener mailbag questions for us. So yeah, we decided to do this as a first ever mailbag segment where we took questions from all of you via the interwebs. <laughs> and uh, why don't we start off with our Tweezies and Retweezies squad. At Patrick Miller asks, what's a sample that had the most impact on you in mm -hmm. terms of pointing you to an artist or song you were previously unaware of? That's a great question. Yes, it is. 
You want me to start off? Yeah, Morgan, because you you always like talking about the samples. Yes, indeed. Uh, For me, we're going to go back to Jill Scott's debut album, which is called Who Is Jill Scott? I actually heard this song on a compilation album. It was like a worldwide album that Giles Peterson curated. And I heard this song and it stopped my heart. Obviously, I went on to buy the album, but the sample was from a song called Slowly, Surely. And she sampled an artist named Mo Kaufman. Uh, He was a jazz flutist or flautist, however you want to pronounce it. The song was Days Gone By, Egyptology, and it was from a 1978 album called Museum Pieces. anything about him. Um, I didn't pay attention to the sample at the time. It was a a couple of years later when I was looking to um, place original stuff on a show that I was working on. So we didn't want to place the sample. We wanted to place the originals from the samples. And I went back, looked into this, and found out this whole backstory about Mo Kaufman, who was a Canadian flautist. He had some great albums, including one called Devil's Brew. My runner-up would be Crush on You. Little Kim, mm. um, where that song sampled Jeff Lorber's Rain Dance. I was aware of Jeff Lorber. But I came to him the back way. I came to him in 1986 through a song called Facts of Love with a singer called a singer named Karen White. It was a big hit on urban contemporary radio. But I didn't know about Jeff Lorber's whole other jazz fusion uh, history. So shout out to Little Kim <laughs> and Crush on You for sampling that song and making me dig deep. And of course, that song has recently been resampled mm. from Mariah Carey's new album and a song called Oh. No, no. Legs in the grass, it's time to cut the lawn. Ass is a hand, take a hey, I cut you off. You ain't gonna lie to my face no more. me with a sorry. I love this question only because, like you, Morgan, I spent a lot of time listening and thinking about samples and researching them. The one that really came to mind, though, would be the sample behind Nas's One Love. What is that? What, what, what's that? Yo, 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 what's that? So what's notable about this as a sample, number one, and the song was produced by Q-Tip, is that he's using, it's, I think it's 16 bars. It's, it's a ridiculously long sample, especially in this era where usually maybe two to four bars max, but it feels like uh, Q-Tip was using half a song here. And as it turns out, this was taken from a much longer four-part suite known as the Smilin' Billy Suite recorded by the Heath Brothers on their Strata East album, Marching On, which is semi-obscure by jazz album standards. And the original song, um, Smilin' Billy Suite, was based off of a Heath Brothers song or Jimmy Heath song called Smilin' Billy, which was devoted to their percussionist, Billy Higgins. Mm. I don't think Higgins actually appears on this particular album, but in any case, there are four parts to the Smilin' Billy Suite. The Nas sample comes from I think part two of the suite and the entire 16 minute suite is incredible. And there's no way I likely would have discovered that smell and Billy suite, if not for Nas's one love. 
And this is a case where as great as One Love is, and it's one of Nas's best songs. Best. The sample itself that, you know, that the song it, it takes from is of similar, if not greater stature in terms of just like the majesty of it. And so there's other samples which I like hearing. And it's like, oh, cool, that comes from this. But it's not like I go back to the original sample and spend a lot of time with it, whereas I will never tire of listening to The Smile and Billy Sweet. Next up, from at Hadi Kadri. I've been watching a bunch of Tony Scruggs videos on <laughs> YouTube lately. What would be your fave heat rocks based solely on background vocals? And certainly, I think in my case, the Laura Nairo and LaBelle example that I just talked about in the first half would fit. So if I'm going to pick a second one, I'm, I'm going to go with I'm going to go with the Beach Boys. And I feel like this is slightly low-hanging fruit because the Beach Boys are basically the American Beatles in terms of the amount of critical and commercial acclaim that they get. But that said, I still feel like that Brian Wilson never gets enough credit for just how genius he was, not simply in the studio from a production point of view, but thinking about how to layer all of the different voices Mm. within the Beach Boys to create these remarkable harmonies. And to me, there's no better example of this than Don't Worry Baby, which has some of the most beautiful harmonies that the Beach Boys ever did. But the role of the backup is 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 really central here. And there is a stripped down version, which is just the vocals, where you can really hear how this interplay works. One more from Twitter. This comes from at Tuxy, Tuxy, Tuxy. And Morgan, I'm assigning this one strictly to you because I have no horse in this race. All right, and then. Tuxy, Tuxy, Tuxy asks, NPG, meaning new power generation or the revolution, which is, in essence, it's a question about who were Prince's best backing band. I'm going to go with the revolution. And I'm going to keep it really simple. Purple Rain, <laughs> Dirty Mind, For You, Controversy, 1999, and Around the World in the Day. 16 million albums sold, the revolution. Enough said. Let's take some questions from Facebook here. We have Josh Goot, sorry, we have Josh Guttmacher. I hope I'm pronouncing that right. And I, I really love this one. I'm Morgan, I'm sure you got a lot to say here. Sure. Josh wants to know great examples of gospel style piano in pop music. Mm, mm, mm. All right. I love this question too. And shout out to Josh for a. Uh for bringing it to us. I'm going to skip over a couple of decades, if that's cool, because I don't think that uh, gospel piano is wedded to one particular time. And I'm going to start with Joe Cocker mm. um, with a little help from my friends. Yeah. Before I actually saw the uh, Woodstock video, I thought Joe Cocker was black. Based largely in part on this song and the build of this song, which I think has great gospel piano 
Uh, I'm also going to mention Madonna Like a Prayer. I don't want to. Uh, you'll have to go back to uh, our episode that we did with, with Ann Powers about this. But Madonna's Like a Prayer has great gospel piano. It's got a great build. It's, of course, got the choir. There are a lot of messages about politics and race and also religion. It's supposed to be about a young girl's love of God. But, honey, watch the video. There's so much in there. You don't really know what it's about. But Stephen Bray's arrangement and the build of that, the choir, of course, featured Andre Crouch. So you're going to you're gonna get that gospel piano. And the last one would be the Beatles' Let It Be. Phil Spector produced Billy Preston on that organ. Morgan came with a whole bevy of choices. I only really had one only because this is a song that I have had on heavy, heavy, heavy rotation over the last few months. It came out in early 2018. Uh, It is recorded by L.A.'s Joey Dosick, who is a member of the band Wolfpack. Mm. And it is a song Game Winner. The funny thing is, if you actually listen to this, the lyrics of the song, it's about someone trying to hit the game-winning shot at the end of a basketball game, because Dosik is a big basketball fan. Sure. And just on the page, it could be a little bit corny, if, you just, if you're taking it at literal value, <laughs> though I do think the NBA should try to find a way to use this in a game. Wait, have, I, have I talked about this song early in the show? I feel no. like I've made the same joke about the NBA using this in one of their ads. Anyways. But my God, the song is so gorgeous. I don't care if the lyrics do come off maybe just a teeny, teensy bit corny. (laughs) The way that he executes on it, and a lot of it is the work done with those piano chords and the chord progressions, is so lovely. Uh, Dosik actually does a YouTube video where he breaks down for piano players how to do the chord progression on the song. And he even describes one of the chords as being kind of this Donny Hathaway-esque thing, Mm. which really makes that gospel heritage I think very clear, but um, not that anyone asked, but if, if people want to know what my favorite, one of my favorite songs of 2018 was, uh, Game Winner by Dosik is very much near the top, if not at the very top of that list. Last but not least, let's turn our attention to the gram. And actually, I really like the questions that people came up with here uh, on Instagram. And we'll start with DJ Whitmo, mm-hmm. who wants to know is, what's the best concert you've ever attended? Great question. For me, um, it was hard. I've gone to some great ones in my life. I almost went with FYF um, from mm. a couple of years ago because um, it, it, for me, was an embarrassment of riches. I mean, the openers were Bjork and Missy Elliott. Like, when, where does that happen? Yeah. And it kept getting better and better. You had Frank Ocean's Return, Erica Badu, Run the Jewels, Little Dragon, Iggy Pop, No Name, Princess Nokia. I mean, it was just like, yo, it was just like a carnival um, of sounds 
that would have been my runner-up. But my favorite has to be 21 Nights at the Forum featuring Prince 2011. Um, it was a concert that uh, the ticket was like $20, which is un- unheard of. But Prince started underselling because he wanted people to come. That particular night, he had brought in um, a local group named King because two of them were mm. from um, Minneapolis. He had discovered their three-track EP, and he let them be the opener. So it was a triumph for indie artists and he opened with Let's Go Crazy. Mm-hmm. Um, there were so many encores. We were clapping so hard. It was past the days where Prince wouldn't perform, perform certain songs because he had gotten religious. He pretty much, with the exception of like Head, which we knew we weren't going to get, <laughs> he performed most of what we wanted to hear, Lady Cab Driver. Um, and at some point he said, um, and I said this before we were talking with Michelle in Degio Cello, is... Um, don't play with me, L.A., I have too many hits. And after that, he performed like 15 other songs. He jumped off the piano, he did the splits. Oh. It was Prince in rare form, and uh, who knew he would die uh, some five years later. Mm. But it was a wonderful night at the Great Western Forum right in Inglewood, 10 minutes from where I had grown up, five minutes from where I went to high school, one of the best concerts of my life. Mm. The examples that I came up with uh, were all drawn from my time living in the Bay Area in the 1990s, which is when I first started going uh, to concerts for the most part. And the, the, the honorary mention would have to be KRS-1 at, at Maritime Hall, which no longer functions as a venue. Uh, back in the 90s, a lot of big hip-hop acts, including Gangstar, I want to say maybe Wu-Tang, definitely KRS-1 came through there. And the thing I remember about that 97 show with KRS is at one point – they just start teasing the opening uh, piano uh, to the bridge is over, you know, dun 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 dun, and then once the, the the song drops, the entire floor begins to just warp because people are jumping down so hard. It's like an earthquake was happening in there. It was the first time I'd been to a show at Maritime where you just had that level of collective hypeness going on. I said, the bridge is over, the bridge is over. Hey, hey, hey. The bridge is over, the bridge is over. Hey, 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 the bridge is over, the bridge is over. Bye bye. The bridge is over, the bridge is over. You see me coming in the dance with the flipper sensia. Down with the sound called BDP. If you want to join the But that said, I think my favorite concert was seeing the Roots for the first time. This was when they first came to the Bay Area. They performed at Bimbo's, which is in North Beach, in San Francisco. This was on January 29th, a Saturday in 1994. And the reason I remember this is not only was this just an incredible show, and I think if you talk to anybody from that era, that first Roots show that you went to would have been a revelation because we were never we we just we're not used to seeing hip hop acts performing with a live band mm-hmm. and one of the things that you can do with a live band is you can improvise mm-hmm. and obviously the roots were not necessarily coming direct directly off the dome they clearly had rehearsed a lot and they were a very professional group in that sense but there was that feeling of spontaneity and one of the things that the roots did in those shows back in the 90s is they had a segment in the middle where they just covered other people's hits because you can do that with a live band. And it was like a greatest hits of hip hop segment that people just loved and I just never seen anything like mm. that. But, and the reason why I know the date of this, besides the fact that, uh, shout out to Jerry V out there who I think promoted the show and, and sent me the flyer to remind me the exact date, is my very first regular radio show on college radio was on Sundays, Sunday mornings. 
uh, on KALX 90.7 in, uh, in Berkeley. And the Roots were supposed to come on to the Sunday morning show, which was before my show, but they were running late. And because they were running late, I inherited them. And this was the first like major rap artist who had come through my radio show in particular. And I got to interview them. And, mm. and I was already just still, you know, in this crazy like post concert, like that was the most amazing show I'd ever seen mode. And having them actually be in the studio with me the very next morning was incredible. And Black Thought and Rozelle got on the mics and dropped this freestyle for me. Yo, come on, mic, microphone check, one, two, microphone check, one, now it's time to let one brother just connect one style into the way that I just come, pow, yes, you know I represent for Berkeley, firstly, there is not an MC that can hurt me, Black Thought, I established the fact that I'm the illest, the most realest, the top villain. Last question, this comes from, again, Instagram user at Spumante Carlo, and I, I do love this one. Did either of you have any favorite radio personalities growing up? Did they help uh, steer you to some of the favorites you have now? I love this question, and shout out to uh, Spumante Carlo for bringing it up. Um, as I've said many times on this show, I grew up here in Los Angeles, and Los Angeles um, has always had great radio, specifically black radio. Uh, the three stations that I grew up on were KGFJ, uh, KACE, which was 103.9, and KJLH, which is owned by Stevie Wonder, 102.3. Um, growing up, I had two favorite DJs. One's name was Hamilton Cloud, which is the probably the best DJ name Hamilton I've ever Cloud. heard. Um, he played sort of rare grooves, jazz, and soul music, and he always ended his show with this song from Earth, Wind, and Fire. end his segment saying you know he'd back announce his songs and he would say this is just a reminder to keep it in the spirit it was precious to me because earth wind and fire is my father's favorite favorite group um that album where spirit is featured on one of my favorites and it just made me feel warm and fuzzy as a kid my second favorite uh, radio personality was a brother named easy wiggins also a great radio name. And he'd do a show called L.A. Sundays, 103.9. And uh, Shaka Khan sang one of the little openings to the show. He had one of the best voices in radio. And, uh, and, I, and, I, and I aspired to that. It was great Sundays. I would be able to listen to it. I was churchy, but after church I knew I could put that on. And he put me at ease. Um, the personalities that he led me to later, or those early influences, led me later uh, to Garth Trinidad and Jason Bentley, mm -hmm. uh, two of the best, uh, to me, uh, tastemakers and curators in the game. Uh, Garth Trinidad, because he is the voice. Um, he's got one of the best radio voices ever. And because he was at the beginning, of breaking the future soul and the neo soul movement um, as he's been on the air now 22 years. Also, as I was falling in love with dance music, um, coming out of Chicago House and into everything else, uh, the early mid-90s to late 90s and then to the 2000s, Jason Bentley's Metropolis uh, was there for me. Mm, yeah, I feel very, very similarly as someone who grew up in L.A. in the 1980s. The DJs that I first really remember listening to, besides Rick Dees on, on KISS FM, who because he was the, the lead DJ on the biggest station in the area, 
Rick Dees was was inescapable to a, to a large degree. But the DJs that I really gravitated to in terms of my favorites were K-Rock DJs. And K-Rock uh, was, is the alternative rock, modern rock station, which was wildly influential in the 1980s because it's where you would hear all the new wave stuff coming uh, across the airwaves. And it was DJs like The Poor Man and Richard Blade mm-hmm. were the names that I really remembered. But I think the DJs that had a bigger influence on me in terms of my own thinking as a DJ were the ones that I were I was listening to when I moved up to the Bay Area in 1990. And this would basically be just KMEL squad. You had King Tech. You had oh, yeah. uh, Sway. You had D- uh, Joe Quicks, all of whom uh, were part of that early wake-up show crew. And people who grew up in the Bay in the early 90s or in L.A. by, I think, the end of the decade will have remembered one of the greatest voices, which was Theo Mizuhara. Yes, indeed. Theo being the patron saint of Asian men with awesome voices. And so anytime <laughs> someone compliments me on my radio voice, I automatically say, I'm just trying to follow in Theo's footsteps. <laughs> and what? And what? You're watching TV. You're talking to your homie. You're talking to me. But what's the most important thing that you should be doing right now? Listening to 92.3 B. Jeez, damn. The Theo uh, was a star here in L.A. Um, started in the Bay, though. Started in the Bay. And came out and then came down to, was it 92.3 The Beat? 92.3 The Beat. Yeah. And he made those afternoons. Theo had people calling in, kids calling in. He'd be talking to them about doing their homework. He'd be charming the ladies. He was in the middle of the East Coast, West Coast beef, uh, trying to be a voice of peace. He talked DJ Quick off the off the uh, ledge one time on the air. Dated Don Robinson from En Vogue when he was in the Bay. Right. Had a feature in Waiting to Exhale, the film. So shout out to Theo, one of that's clearly and undisputed, one of the best radio voices in the game. And subject to a, a long mystery in terms of whatever happened to that dude. And I, I tried to get online to find out, and the most recent information I could find was all from about maybe 10 years ago. So Didn't he go back on K-Day? Didn't I, he go on K-Day for a second? He was for a second. Yeah, but, for a second. But he's been off there for, I think, about 10 years. So, yo, if anyone knows where Theo's at, like, let us know. I need to know what that brother's up to. For sure. And you can uh, please do come on Heat Rocks. If you resurface, we'd yes. love to talk to you. 100%. That will do it for this mailbag special, and that was so much fun. I'm really happy that we did it. And certainly, if we didn't get to answer your question on the air, Morgan and I, hopefully by the time this airs, we will have actually gotten back onto social media to maybe answer some of those questions directly if we could. And we will, I think, bring this segment back into onto a future episode. If you're listening to this and don't know how to find us on the socials, just as a reminder, we are on both Twitter and Instagram at Heat Rocks Pod. You can find a link to our Facebook group by going to our webpage, which is heatrockspod.com. And that's, of course, where we will post show notes for every episode, including a track listing of everything that you've heard today and other goodies. Again, that's at heatrockspod.com. And that will do it for this special features and mailbag episode of Heat Rocks. Maximumfun.org. Comedy and culture. Artist owned. Listener supported.